Hi, everyone. Um, so for those of you that are joining us um, as visitors today, just letting you know that we've been working through a series together as a church, H3O, um, and a series called Relent, as we think about this tradition of Lent that we're in at the moment. And we've been thinking about um, exploring this tradition and thinking about what it means to embrace the way of Jesus and following Jesus. Um, we've been considering things that we let go of, that we can consider to let go of, but also not just leaving that space void, but what can we pick up as we consider what it means to follow Jesus and embrace the way of Jesus. So today we'll be looking at, at letting go of busyness and embracing purpose. Now I'm aware today that we're kind of hitting the ground running with the sermon, um, given our very special program today and the baptisms of our dear friends, Laura and Beto. Um, so I do want to take a moment to just um, calm and centre ourselves. I don't know what kind of day you've had. I don't know what kind of weekend you've had or perhaps week um, leading up to today. But whatever joys or challenges that you may have had, whatever chaos or calm that has been a part of your story or today, I want to take a moment to just ready ourselves and ready our heads and our hearts and our hands before we come to God's word. And so before I do this, I'm going to pray again. But I'm going to also use Psalm 46 to help us centre on God's presence and rest as we come before him and give space to remember, to be silent and to hear from God. So um, I'm going to get you to practice this with me, but I'm going to ask you or invite you to use your breath to engage with the words that I'm going to speak. And I'm going to focus in on verse 10 of Psalm 46, and many of you will know it quite well. Be still and know that I am God. So when I say be still, I'm going to get you to breathe in. And know, breathe out, that I, breathe in, am God, breathe out. And this is just a really visceral way for us to connect with the words and God's presence with us. So I'm going to pray for us now and I'm going to guide us again through those words if you'd like to join me. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. God, we thank you that you are present with us now. God, as we consider busyness and embracing our purpose in Jesus, we ask that you would ready our heads, our hearts and our hands to follow you. God, would you soften us and help us to listen to you now. Amen. So, confession, I feel like a bit of a fast standing up here talking about busyness. When I told Paul, my husband, that this is the topic that I'd be speaking on today, he laughed. <laughs> he has been known to say, quote, unquote, when I look at her calendar, I get a cold shiver down my spine. And those that know me well would probably use the word busy as a descriptor of me somewhere. What I'm going to share is a journey that I'm on and certainly not a destination that I've reached. And I speak these words to myself as much as I speak them to you. My desire is to follow the way of Jesus and I extend Jesus' invitation to you as well. So aside from good, what is one of the most common responses to the question of how are you? Busy, exactly. It's become synonymous with describing our lives. They are crazy, they are busy, they are full, they are rushed, and let's face it, life is busy. There are competing needs, competing demands, and umpteen options before us, aren't there? 
The way we describe our lives is often attached to the activities that we're engaged in, what we do or what we have done. We live in a culture, or we exist in a culture that's driven by performance, results and outcomes. We live in a world where it's seen as pitifully passive not to act swiftly and strongly. And it can be uncomfortable to describe our lives without a list of activities or events. Busy can become a badge of honour, busy can be glorified. And there's diversity, isn't there, in the way that we as individuals best engage with the world. We are different and unique, like me. You might thrive on being a juggler, be at your best when you're engaged in diversity and challenges that push you out of your comfort zone and to that daring edge of capacity. Or perhaps you're most nourished by intentionally choosing those core things that bring you joy and bring you purpose. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. Or you ebb and flow with the seasons of life that impact on your capacity or your priorities. We can have different needs for rhythm or different rhythms for action and rest, can't we? What's going on next door? Goodness, hacker or something. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just roll with that. <laughs> so when does busy become unhelpful or life-diminishing? How do we live within the realities of this life whilst managing our needs and the, no- and the needs of those that we love, especially when these needs can often feel at odds? Hands up if you agree that there is a point where busyness becomes unhealthy or not good for us. Excellent. I think we all acknowledge this. Our lived experience and research tells us that a constant state of hurriedness is detrimental to our minds, our bodies and our spirit. Busyness can certainly rob us of joy, of our loves and of soaking in the present. I'm going to read a quote now from Thomas Merton in a book that I recently read. There is a pervasive form of contemporary violence to which the idealist most easily succumbs, activism and overwork. The rush and pressure of modern life are a form, perhaps the most common form of its innate violence. To allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit oneself to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is to succumb to violence. The frenzy of the activist neutralizes his work. It destroys the fruitfulness of his own work because it kills the root of inner wisdom which makes work fruitful. I don't know about you, but I was like, if I, had, if I was tech savvy, I'd have one of those Instagram animations there of someone's mind being blown. But I don't know about you, but I was floored when I read that. And I had to read it a number of times to kind of let it sink in. But I was struck by the intensity of the language and particularly the use of the descriptive violence. It's so strong but maybe this is the reality. Maybe it needs to be this strong because this is the impact of busyness that becomes frantic activism or overwork. Could the mistake be that we confuse a lot of activity with a purposeful life? It is not that action is bad or wrong, but suggestion that there is a shadow side to action, which is something to do with where the action comes from. We often recognise this an issue, don't we, and we seek to change and cure ourselves from this perpetual state of hurried busyness, but can also feel the tension as we see the vast needs around us and the impossible task, perhaps, of meeting all those needs. So we attempt to diagnose the source and the issue and to cure it. At Sydney, with its crazy pace and financial pressures, we need to start a commune. Who can we convince to join us on our commune? We need to stop overcommitting. We need to learn to say no. We need to create boundaries to create margin. 
And all of these things may be true and in need of attention. However, I wonder whether we're starting from the wrong place. I wonder whether we're asking the wrong questions. Today, I want to suggest that we don't need to find a cure for busyness. Instead, it is about care and intention. We are not looking at an issue of pace, but an issue of purpose. Now, over the last few weeks, we've been exploring in different ways Ephesians and the idea of our identity being grounded in Christ and a knowing of Christ's presence and love intimately. And it's from this grounded identity in Christ that Paul describes a movement into our purpose or into our calling or into our actions. What we do flows from who we are and whose power is at work in us and through us. Ephesians 4 says, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This worthy life, a life reflected of growing up in Jesus, is characterized by love, by unity, by receiving grace and gifts and using these to build up the body of Christ. And what is this posture? What is the posture of this life and action? Well, Paul uses the metaphor of walking. Various translations use the words live or lead. However, the Greek word used, peripato, literally means walk. Throughout Ephesians, walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Walk no longer as the Gentiles walk. Walk in love. Walk as children of the light. There is nothing hurried or desperate or rushed about the word walk. It implies action that is considered and intentional. Now, I don't think this is a reference to pace, as we can see in other translations of living or leading, but it's about the nature of the action, engaged and intentional. Action that isn't fragmented busyness, but it springs from our identity in Christ, who himself was considered and intentional. So how do we do this? How do we walk in a way that reflects this growing up or maturity in Christ? How do we walk in a way where our actions flow from this place of rootedness and connectedness with the very essence of who we are rather than from the things that we do? How do we embrace purpose? As we look to the way in which Jesus walked or lived, we see the examples of how. Jesus' ministry was full of action, healing, casting out demons, preaching, traveling from town to town, and going off to a solitary place where he prayed. In the midst of all this action, we find these quiet words. In the words of Henry Nouwen, in the center of breathless activities, we hear restful breathing. Surrounded by hours of movement, we find a moment of quiet stillness. In the heart of much involvement, there are words of withdrawal. In the midst of action, there is contemplation. After much togetherness, there is solitude. The active purpose of Jesus included a hidden, quiet place where he went to pray, where he went to connect with the Father so that his actions could flow from his identity as God's Son. It's from this place that Jesus himself follows the will of God, speaks God's words, not his own, and does God's work, not his own. We read his words in John 5. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. This is the mighty Jesus, doing nothing out of step with and in the power of the Father. This act of prayer is a connectedness and reliance on the source of action. It is the power and place of action. God is the power and place of action. Do we hold prayer in this regard? 
This Christmas I asked, or last Christmas, I asked Paul for an old school alarm clock and not because I'm a funky hipster, which may come as a shock to you, but like many, I struggle uh, with technology not morphing into another limb of my body. For me, my phone can so easily preoccupy my mind and my heart. It can rob me of time, of energy, of focus and my loves. Practically, I used my alarm clock, uh, my phone as my alarm clock. So it was before I went to bed, I'd set my alarm. It was the last thing I touched before I slept. And it was the first thing I touched when I woke. It also meant that I was easily sucked into just checking my emails quickly or messages or social media. And I'll be honest, it didn't take much for me to be mindlessly scrolling through emails, through feeds, screenshotting potential projects that I was probably never going to do, or becoming enraged by some online discussion that I just couldn't stop reading. But I didn't want my day to end or to start and to end with a slightly frantic sense of to-dos and actions from a place of anxious busyness at the very least. I now have an old school alarm clock. It's a basic device. I just set the alarm and it beep beeps in the morning and I get up. But this means that my phone doesn't need to be anywhere near where I sleep. It's not the first or the last thing of my day. And I've made a promise, prayer before phone. And this simple act has had a huge impact. It's a way I can connect myself with my creator God, a time where I lay out my schedule before God to intentionally seek for my day's actions to come from this place rather than other noise and distraction. What are your blind spots? What are the things that distract you from that quiet place of prayer and connectedness with your identity and purpose in Christ? I love the story of Susanna Wesley, which some of you may have heard before, but Susanna was a strong woman of God. She had 19 children, 10 of whom survived, and if you'll recall the famous game changers, John and Charles Wesley, they were two of her children. She was an intensely capable leader, household manager, financial manager, Bible scholar, teacher, and radical subverter of gender inequality and cultural roles. But this intense action was connected to a life of prayer and contemplation. You can imagine the chaos that must have been her home, overflowing with children and visitors. She would bring her Bible to her favourite chair and where she would throw her long apron, well, it's not so long, you can imagine, over her head, forming a tent of sorts. Every person in the household knew to respect this signal. When Susanna was under the apron, she was with her God. And she was not to be disturbed, except in case of emergency. There, under her tent, she would connect with and commune with her creator, God. Do you have a tent moment in the busyness of your life? Luke 10 tells of a story of Martha and Mary. Jesus is travelling with his disciples and comes to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Martha's sister Mary immediately sits at Jesus' feet, eagerly listening to his teaching and hanging off his every word. Meanwhile, Martha is running around preparing for her guests. Perhaps Martha has the gift of hospitality. Perhaps she's freaking out about what the heck she is going to serve Jesus the Messiah. She discreetly kicks away the evidence of animals that have made themselves comfortable in the main part of the house and makes a mental note to find out who keeps allowing this. She frantically gathers up the abandoned tunics left draped over the table and silently curses under her breath whoever threw their sandals again in a random fashion at the front door. She looks around and makes a mental note that she really needs to Marie Kondo this place because this would make the world of difference to the mental load she carries for the household. 
She's distracted by all that needs to be done and her intentions are good. She wants to best serve her guests and make sure they are well cared for and loved within her home. And where's Mary? Because she could do with some serious help right now. Her eyes dart around as she tries to locate her sister. And Mary's just sitting, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Who does she think she is learning like a man at the feet of a rabbi? Doesn't she know her place, her responsibilities? Lord, she says, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha is exasperated. She's busy and busy doing good. Martha, Martha, Jesus gently answers, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, I don't think this is a story demonstrating the dichotomy between action and contemplation, as I think it's sometimes simplified to be. Mary is engaged in subversive action, sitting at the feet of Jesus, stepping into the cultural role of a man. And what does Jesus do? He affirms her. He affirms her equal right and desire to engage in action that is driven by her identity and her desire to learn and connect with who she was created to be. This is not about action versus contemplation, but faithful action engaged with and fixed on Jesus. I'm a runner. I always have been, and I spent many years training and running competitively. When racing, my strategy was to get out early and hold, to run my own race, not thinking about anyone else, and just smash it. And this strategy served me quite well when I was on the athletics track. I was in my own lane. I just had to follow the lines. Trail running or cross-country was another story. I would apply the same strategy, get out early, get a massive leave, run my own race, and hold. Problem was, I had a really poor sense of direction and intuition in reading the guiding markers. I was known for getting completely lost, and my parents are here, they can attest to that, and I can see my mother-in-law laughing, and basically anyone who was at Covenant Christian School at the time, I was. I could run for half a kilometre before realising, or more often than not, a breathless race marshal catching me to break me the news that I was going the wrong way. I tried different things like walking the track beforehand to try and remember the way, to focus on the key markers, but this really didn't help. You know, it never occurred to me to pull back, to slot in behind someone else so that they could lead the way, keep the pace, and guide me in the right direction. Prayer and contemplation are practices that keep us engaged with the presence and purposes of God, whatever our circumstance or chaos. Communicating with the source of life turns this chaos into something sacred and aligned with who we are. Jesus is our guide and our pacekeeper. As we keep pace with him, we moved in aligned intention and with a rhythm that is in step with him. When he speeds up, we speed up. When he slows down, we slow down. But nothing is done without a connectedness to him. We focus on Christ's commitment to come alongside us in our spiritual journey, whatever that might look like on any given day. It allows us to hold the action and contemplation paradox the intertwining of these and live with these tensions where our actions are deeply connected and aligned with our creator. For me, prayer and contemplation with moments of solitude and silence help me find and keep a solid footing. They allow me to commune with God, to know him and find my true self, which brings the Sabbath to me. The New Testament talks about the Sabbath as a way of life, setting us free from the bondage of our efforts 
from this culture of outcomes and results. It is entering into God's rest. We may need planned periods of silence and solitude. I certainly do, and this may come in the form of holidays or retreats or chunks of time on my own. But if we are hanging out for these bigger moments, if we only are doing this, holding on until this reprieve and time with God, we aren't completely living in purpose in the day-to-day. This is the challenge. Finding your way of daily living, walking in step with Jesus. Embracing purpose doesn't mean abandoning the reality and chaos of this world, but engaging in it more deeply through life-giving action. This is the way of Jesus. Life is full and this is life. A purposeful life does not equal a life that is without action or withdrawal from the reality of this world. A purposeful life is being connected to our new identity and staying in step with what we were created for. This is what being a disciple or apprentice of Jesus is, living in step with Jesus, united in action. If we have received God's gracious gift of salvation, this is the outworking of of this grace in our lives. And I'm privileged to live in this profound reality of walking with Jesus and not just preach it. If this is not your reality or you are not sure, just have questions about this Jesus and what relevance he might have to your life, can I encourage you to press into those questions, to connect with someone that you trust and together explore it more. It's easy to confuse a lot of activity with a purposeful life, isn't it? So can I encourage you to reflect on how you let go of busyness, to consider that it's not in fact about curing it, but about care to an ongoing and attentive heart rooted in the creator God, fixed on Jesus, and where all power and enabling of purposeful action is possible through the Holy Spirit. We let go of busyness and embrace our purpose at the feet of Jesus and eyes fixed on him. I'm going to invite Dan up at this point, and we're just... He's going to lead us in worship in a moment. And we're going to sing the song in as well. And I just want to read the chorus to you now. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it all, through it all, it is well. Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. It is well with me. As we sing this together, we sing of our desire to fix our eyes on Jesus in amongst the chaos. And it is in this place that we can declare it is well. Before I pray, I'm going to use Psalm 46 again to guide us in focusing in on God's rest and presence with us. And feel free to follow along again with your breath. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Father God, we thank you that you are present with us today. God, as we reflect on our busy lives and what it means to live into our identity with you and in you, would you help us to let go of busyness that comes from a place of hurried anxiousness and press into action and purpose that is in step with you? Thank you for the promise of your constant presence and power in our lives where our chaos can be turned into something sacred, that we can sing through it all, our eyes are fixed on you, and declare that it is well in our souls. Amen.